Beyond, and hello everyone. My name is Jonathan Dormush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest and doggo in the world of PlayStation. I'm joined this week, I really hope he doesn't fall off the table, I'm joined this week by Mark Medina. Dormbush, wake up! Oh, I don't no. like this! No. Jada, wake up! Oh, I, don't, I don't know the next part of the song. Oh, I was jamming. I, you literally had me for a second. There, Mark. Oh, right. no. That's the oh, next okay. part of the song. I've never seen uh, Stranger Things. Uh, hold on. Before we go, before we go uh, Jada, I got some bad news. Okay. Uh, We're this 30 is, seconds this is, in. I, late on me. I swear this isn't revenge for Severance. For this okay. Severance slander. Although, no jury in the world would convict me for, for doing it. A jury of my peers like, would. <laughs> I don't like loot. I can't get into it. Uh, I tried. It's okay. I tried my best. You know what the thing is? Is uh, you know some people just have taste, and <laughs> others don't. So, and since I like both severance and loot, I guess I'm the only one with taste. The extreme. The, the oh, I never extreme said I didn't taste. like severance. That's fair. That's I fair. said that yeah. severance was Didn't's a, a bit like overrated. It, that's fair. That is fair. Got it. Yeah, I'm like three episodes in. And I'm just like, this isn't funny. I don't know. <laughs> I just can't. You get just don't get. The, you're sorry. just not. You just don't understand the struggle, Mark. Yeah. You've never struggled for anything in your life. I've never been so rich <laughs> that I don't know what to do with my money. <laughs> <laughs> Says the man you're who right. has a house. I know the one person on the cast uh, that has, has a house. house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, we're also joined this week by Jada Griffin. Jada, hello, hello. Um, we are. Uh, you know, I feel like we should have introduced the the best the boy special guest first. Like, well, I didn't. He's making a bunch of noise. I'm okay, buddy. Okay, you can't do that because the microphone's going to pick it it's up. It's totally fine. He's just getting his exercise in. He is. Uh, Loki, my dog, is in the studio with us today and he hasn't uh been outside of a home environment for about two years I, I he goes outdoors i'm not saying he's never been outside no don't he, lock him up he, he shits in the house but he is not used to being in a place <laughs> and he thinks buddy you gotta stop doing that oh my goodness i'm gonna have to take you off the table anyway loki is with us and hopefully he does not cause havoc the entire episode but he's here with us uh not to talk about uh anything norse related of course today uh, but we do have, oh my goodness, Pell, it sounds like you're tap dancing. Uh, we are going to be talking about several PlayStation things today, including a wonderful topic that our own Mark Medina actually suggested to us uh, that I'm very excited to that i'm very excited to dive into uh later this episode as well as some quick news hits but before we get to that i do want to let you all know because we're getting there very soon but gamescom is coming up and ign is going to be there in a huge way uh gamescom is running from august 23rd to the 28th across all ign platforms you can expect live streams live shows uh coverage of major events like jeff Keighley's opening night live plus an ign post show on august 23rd that i believe i'm going to be on so you should tune in uh ign live at gamescom will be happening august 24th through 26th, including awesome indies on August 26th. Uh, meanwhile, the Gamescom award show will air on August 27th and the cosplay competition on August 28th. Uh, throughout those five days, we'll have inside looks, interviews, and exclusives from your favorite new and upcoming games. So be sure to tune in. We're going to have people on site in Germany itself. I mean, we're going to have everybody there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Loki's going to be there. Mark's going to be there. We're going to have Pizza Rat. We're going to have Venus de Milo, the fifth Ninja Turtle everybody forgot about. We're going to have everybody. I never forgot about Venus. Hold on. But also, (laughs) we're not going to be there, but we will be here in San Francisco. Yes, we will be here. Covering Gamescom and all the shenanigans there within. Uh, So look forward to all of that, as I said, across IGN platforms. Uh, Wherever you get your IGN, go there. And buddy, I'm going to take you maybe off the table in a sec. Anyway. With that all said, let's get into some quick IGN news with PlayStation. 
some PlayStation news with IGN. I said it correctly. News. We're here. We 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 did not plan that. We we covered it. <laughs> I I think it sounded planned. Anyway, the first thing I wanted to mention, and if Loki's going to keep doing that, I'm just going to take him off the table so that he doesn't keep. Okay, Loki, we're just hold hands, okay? Clanging everywhere. I'm going to start a topic, and then I'm going to let you both uh, vamp for me while I take Loki off the table. But the first thing I want to talk about is that Team Asobi has said they're working on their biggest game yet. Of course, Asobi are the team behind Astro's Playroom. Uh, Astrobot Rescue Mission and everything Astro that you could expect. I love those games. I can't wait to see more. Knowing that it's going to be a bigger game has me very excited. So Jada, as a fan of PlayStation Home, my question for you is will it be Astro's Play Home? Uh let's see. So we had Astro's Play Room, right? So I think Astro's Play World is probably the go-to. You go from room to world? Yeah. You gotta, wow. I mean, you can't just you can't give the people what they expect. You have to sure. give them something they don't expect. And going from a room, I mean, it could be playhouse, but I, I think we the world. Why not? Okay. And okay. then you save room for the galaxy, universe, whatever for the future for the sequel, because we're gonna get a sequel. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what about you? What would you hope to see? Yeah, I mean, I love this game as well. So hopefully, uh, it would be cool to see a bigger one. It, it's a little like worrisome. I know people love these games, and and, and I love this one. This was a free pack-in title for PS5. And so it's like, if they're making something grand and ambitious, I assume it'll be, you know, worth people actually having to pay for it. This, I think, was worth people having to pay for, and they got it for free. So I hope people <laughs> are able to kind of, like, delineate the difference that it's like, yeah, they made that game as a pack-in, but now they're actually making a game, and, and you just you have to pay for it. But I, I think it'll be worth it. I'm very excited for whatever they make, because this game is... Probably, like, still one of my favorite PS5 games to ever exist. And it's the yeah. first one I played. Um, with that said, yeah, uh, Astrobot Rescue Mission was paid for, so hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. I think at least the VR audience would be very understanding of it. I get where you're coming from, though, of the hope that, like, people understand how much work goes into a game like this, even if it looks like the cutesier vein of what PlayStation gives us. Um, you know, I think with those games, uh, with Astrobot Rescue Mission, I could be wrong, but it might have been budget-priced at 40 I'm forgetting. But we know that they're going for $70 PS5 games this gen, so we'll see. But uh, yeah. yeah, if it's bigger and better, like knowing how creative they are, how great at making platforming games, I I just want to see what they're working on. I hope we get it sooner than later. It's now been two years since we got this uh, Astro's Playroom. So I'm hoping we get this maybe next year. But mm -hmm. who knows? Uh, moving on from there on the, the news beats of the day and week, Spider-Man uh, on PC was Sony's second biggest PC launch. Sorry, Peter Parker. <laughs> Got him. Uh, God of War still remains the number one. This is by player count on uh, Steam, so peak concurrence of the first day. Uh, Spider-Man was at 66,436 compared to God of War 73,529. Doesn't mean it wasn't a success. Obviously, the critical acclaim for the port has been really well received. I think people are clearly loving it. There's already ridiculous mods. It's going to be a big success. Um, Mark, you've been playing it a little bit, correct? I did. So I originally, my work on it was steam deck related and it runs so good on the steam deck especially if you do if you if you play in the default mode where you can allow the game to go up to 60 it does that thing where it's like in some cutscenes, and and depending on how high up in the world you are it will run at 60 fps but then it, you know the lower you go or the hectic combat you'll do you do see it dip down to like 40s maybe even high 30s so then what most people are recommending is do the Steam Deck like cap at 40 FPS, which the original game was capped at 30, right? So capping this one at 30 and 40 is like totally acceptable. 
this game is a handheld game now. Like, I can't really, like, believe it. <laughs> it's it's astonishing to see um, this game just run in the palm of your hands. The power of the Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> anyways, but yeah. Uh, but I've also played it on PC. I'm the, I'm the one who's been doing some of the mod videos. Right now, it's like, it's less mods and more just, like, reskins. It's like... Goofy. Look, yeah. now you're playing mm -hmm. as Kingpin, which is the funniest thing you'll ever see <laughs> but uh you know it's it's less like changing the game and more just you know make it now you're Stanley and like do they work kind of not really like you go into a cutscene and all of a sudden your mouth is outside of your body or i was playing as mary jane and all of a sudden her head was detached so it's like eh, those things are cool but uh, aside from that the actual just pc version runs great it had a few problems when we first got it but then they did a big patch and they were like please play the new version don't don't do the old version and it runs awesome i have a 2080 ti which is still a powerful graphics card by by most metrics um but i'm able to run with like full ray tracing as long as the dl or, or drlss computer term thing is on dslr um <laughs> i think it's dll that's a shipping LSS. company right I yes know. i play games on playstation <laughs> so uh yeah anyways like um, it's a camera model oh maybe <laughs> yeah it's okay yeah. but no it runs great and it looks good and uh i'm glad that pc people are able to play this game now yeah well no as long as your dslr is working on yeah. the uh the 2080 uh pi private investigator uh, rtx yeah. card that you have there i'm really excited i built my first pc this weekend i'm acting oh, like i don't did? know how pcs work i did with the help of a friend and a listener of beyond shout out to dorby um it helped me through the building process i was very what, scared what uh what graphics card did you put in it uh we still have to put that's the one thing i don't have because they were on back order um Yikes. i think we're getting what, what are you the, looking at uh, it's one of the newer, it's, I want to say 3070. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, so, that's really good. You Great know, card. Uh, I think. I could be wrong. He'll correct me in the comments yeah, of the show. Now's the time because those cards have, have really come down closer mm -hmm. to MSRP, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been considering, I've been considering upping my 2070, I think I have okay. in mine. So, but yeah. I mean, it, it runs everything I play so well. Like, I'm like. What, do I need to shell out $900 for... It's a lot. I get why so many people, especially who listen to the show, would stick to just consoles. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, I have a 2080 Ti. It's perfect. It runs great. I would love like a 3090, but is it do worth you have $1,800? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so. it's... It's good to hear that it's working out. Uh, also, for those who play uh, PlayStation games on PC, apparently Sony may be working on a PlayStation PC game launcher. There's been nothing officially said by PlayStation, but there was sort of, uh, I believe, code that intimated this that people had found. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that happens. I think, obviously, if they could find a way to include trophy support and tie mm -hmm. it to your existing PlayStation user mm -hmm. ID and all that stuff, that would be great for PlayStation users who go cross uh, to PC as well. Whether it yeah, happens, uh, who knows? But. Uh, an awesome thing to note about that is I, I think I think most people's gut reaction is another launcher, but the the best news to come from that is basically if Spider-Man were to come out on PC, you would already have it because you own the mm -hmm. PlayStation version. That's what people are that's kind the hope of there. Yeah, ho hoping from this is that you will you will buy it and you will own it across just like on Xbox. You would own both versions. That's kind of the hope here because right now. Spider-Man on PC is completely separate from the PlayStation version. Nothing yeah. is the same. So we'll uh, see. I, but yeah, I kind of hope it exists. <laughs> it, it may. We know PlayStation is working on sort of a PC label, establishing that. They obviously are expecting, I think, $300 million in revenue from PlayStation PC releases and things in the next year. So got to be something bigger that they have planned there. 
Um, last but not least, just on the bigger news front, so people are aware, coming up in September, uh, Disney is hosting a hosting. I tried to say holding and hosting together, and it didn't work out well. Jada, it's like add last it to week. The, add it to the dictionary. Yeah, Mark, you missed so many portmanteaus last week. Yep. Oh, Shout I, out to I all the newcomers out yep, there. Yep, all our newcomers that are watching the show today for the first time. <laughs> um, <laughs> why were we talking about cucumbers? Who knows? Anyway, uh, Disney and Marvel Game Showcase will debut next month, featuring brand new video game announcements from the likes of Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel, and more. The digital showcase will debut during the D23 Expo on September 9th, so in the weekend that we're probably also getting MCU and Star Wars updates and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we will hopefully uh, get a bunch of more updates and reveals. Uh, according to our news story, uh, they've already promised further updates on Marvel's Midnight Suns, Amy Hennig's Marvel uh, game from Skydance New Media, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, so probably DLC there, and Disney Dreamlight Valley, the Animal Crossing-like that Mark has previewed. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, we don't know exactly what will be shown beyond that, what new games might be there. Obviously, as it pertains to PlayStation, my question for both of you, and Jade, I'll start with you, do you think there are any odds that Spider-Man 2 or Wolverine shows up here? Ooh... I could see Wolverine showing up. Really? I think even because, though it's further? Even though it's further, I think we could get like a smaller teaser, kind of like how we got with Spider-Man 2, just okay. because, you know, Disney's putting this big push for X-Men and stuff this year with the 97 animated coming back later this year this year yeah so i think it just makes sense for wolverine to kind of get that uh a little bit of the limelight there what yeah. i really want to see though is the next marvel versus capcom but i know that's a very very <laughs> a long shot goal. it's yeah. a very long shot um but I, I think wolverine is the one we're gonna see. i think that's what i'd have to put my money on if we're gonna get one of the two gotcha wolverine. good to know well we're gonna find out what mark thinks right after this break we'll be right back with more podcast beyond <laughs> Beyond and welcome back. We're talking about the Marvel Games Showcase that's coming up. I really spooked Mark with that one. <laughs> oh, that was great. His face is It's fun. You're allowed to take a drink of water. I can't because Loki drank out of this before the show. That means so you now, have to drink oh, out of no. it. Now, now it just sits here. Now you have to drink mm. out of it. You now love it's just your dog. Decoration. Now, yeah, now it's just set dressing. <laughs> uh, Mark, what do you think the odds are at this Marvel Games Showcase coming up at D23 in September that we may see Spider-Man 2 or Wolverine? Uh, I honestly hadn't considered that. And I I think the odds are low. <laughs> Only because it's like, yeah, those are Disney properties, but I, I don't know. That I don't I don't I don't think Disney D twenty three is where PlayStation is interested in showing their games. And while these are Disney properties, it's I see them more as PlayStation properties first because yeah. they own Insomniac. So I feel like I feel like PlayStation has to have a little bit of say in like where these are shown. Um, I don't think Disney gets to just be like, "Hey, by the way, you guys have to show Spider-Man at D23." Like, I I don't know if they actually have the power to do that. Maybe they do, um, but I I would say probably not. I I don't think there will be. I would be very surprised. I I don't think that PlayStation cares to show off their game at D23. I think that's fair. I think if they're going to show off Spider-Man or Wolverine, which are both highly anticipated, I think they're going to do it more on their terms instead of at what would be seen by the public as somebody else's show. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I would love what Jada is saying to happen. Like, I would love a teaser for that, especially just even if it's another for Wolverine. Like, I'd take a CGI trailer of revealing yeah. a villain in the game or something like that. Oh, yeah. I We're think not that would be gameplay. So There's cool. No way. But. I, I'm sort of where Mark is at in that I think PlayStation would rather those two live at a PlayStation uh, state mm -hmm. of play or a showcase of some kind. My thought also is 
I'm really excited for this. Like, I, I'm such a Marvel fan at this point that, like, any game they show off, I will be interested in. But, man, if they show Spider-Man or Wolverine, that is probably all anyone is going to talk about, no matter what the other games are there. Mm-hmm. Like, it would probably almost overshadow everything else as cool as that stuff might be. So I wonder if it maybe is also on, like, a smart move on Marvel to have it be all these newer games that we're not seeing and all that sort of stuff. So we'll see. Also, I could be wrong. Okay, so I said that they were Disney properties, but Spider-Man's not they only like no, sony owns so, the film rights sony owns the film rights disney owns the disney marvel you know disney via marvel owns the rights to i think everything else pretty much it just God. happens to be aligned with sony having the video game rights right now to that spider-man because obviously we've seen spider-man on other platforms with ultimate alliance uh midnight suns so mm-hmm. th- that's been a common misconception that came up a lot in the past few years of people being like well sony owns all the rights to spider-man and it, it, they have the movie rights right but, they only have the film rights yeah, yeah. And, and they have the like, rights to Insomniac Spider-Man right now, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel like Spider-Man is so precious to PlayStation. That yeah. I feel like they're very, they're going to play it close, you know? I don't oh, know. yeah. We'll, well, I mean, in the same way that I think Sony Pictures will do whatever they can to hang on to the Spider-Man license. Like, I know everyone's mm-hmm. like, just give it back to Marvel and let him be in the MCU fully. Spider- Sony doesn't want that. They make so much money. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's um, their moneymaker. That's the reality it's, of it's, it. Yeah. It's also such a weird thing. For one... The Spider-Verse movies are great, and those yep. are made by Sony. And oh, I thought you meant, like, they're Sony's Spider-Verse, like, Morbius. And... Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never even seen Morbius. Uh, and then, um, no, the Spider-Verse, you know, into yes, the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah. And, then, uh, and, then, and then, for the most part, I know there was a little bit of a scare way, between the second and third Spider-Man movies, but Tom Holland, his Spider-Man is kind of, like, the core of the MCU right now. He's, like by far the most famous MCU character right now. So I, I don't know. I think, I think they've done a pretty good job at like, I don't, I don't know how much more Disney could want. <laughs> they have full rights. They want full rights. <laughs> I know, um, I know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just to wrap up news before we dive into things, uh, just in case you know, as you're a follower of any ongoing games, uh, I forgot to actually put on this list as well, but I do play it occasionally. Uh, Genshin Impact's 3.0 update is coming out, I believe, at the end of this month. So if you're into Genshin, uh, big new update as well there. Uh, Fortnite currently has Dragon Ball stuff going on. Uh, none of us have got to Kamehameha yet and then do a BTS dance while. Uh, killing Chun-Li on the battlefield next to the Daily Bugle. But, you know, that's just Fortnite for you. Those were definitely really some words. That is what you can do. That is definitely some words. Yeah, take that, Doctor Strange. Uh, and then also Multiverses' uh, proper season one has launched. Uh, Black Adam and uh, the Gremlin Stripe are new characters who will be introduced this season in addition to Rick and Morty. Uh, I've never seen the Gremlins movies, so I have no idea who Stripe is. Boy, do I have a video for you. Is it the Key and Peel video? No, it's oh, a okay. different video that is made by some <laughs> some VFX artists, Fair and enough. it is amazing. Good to know. Uh, I'll have to watch that later, but I will say, having not seen Gremlins, the Key and Peel sketch about the writing of Gremlins 2 is fantastic. I'm wondering if I should ruin it, because I think, like, it's the, the video don't. is totally, like, not Gremlins. It's uh, Gremlins, okay. but mixed with Ooh, uh, don't tell me. something don't tell else. Me. Yeah, don't tell me that. So, I want to say. It's great. Uh, well, that's all the Gremlins talk for today. That's your Gremlins Minute on Podcast Beyond, our new weekly Hi, segment that Mark is going to love. Week. <laughs> Man, why did the, the listenership dive 19 minutes in very specifically for one minute? Everyone skipped that one minute for some reason yep. uh that's what the power of gremlins talk you know no, they're beloved that's why you know it's called going goblin not going gremlin like sure. goblin goblin yeah. works gremlin it's goblin time it's as goblin the green time. goblin will say exactly. in his solo movie 100 uh, 
Anyway, moving on from there uh, to our main topic for this week, uh, a very exciting one that I uh, am also grateful to everyone out there who helped write in for this. Uh, this is an idea that our, as I said, uh, wonderful Mark Medina had come up with. Um, so Mark, I'm going to do a little bit of an intro, but you let me know what you think uh, if I butcher the idea. But basically, we want to kind of talk about... Um, what got us into having PlayStation as our platform of choice? Obviously, all of us primarily use our PlayStation. It doesn't mean we don't play other consoles or things, but PlayStation is our sort of go-to platform. Uh, and, you know, for me, has been for a while. I think for some of us has been as well, later or earlier for some people. Uh, but we kind of want to, like, trace that PlayStation lineage and, and talk about what games or console or era got us into using PlayStation as our primary platform. Um, of course, like with that all said, we are, it's not sort of the idea of like what made PlayStation the best console. Like we're not talking about that. We're talking about what made us decide like, yeah, I want to play my games primarily on PlayStation for the most part. Because, um, yeah, I think it's fair to say I think we all use all consoles here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was um, on my Switch last night. Yeah. Uh, how dare you? I mean, hey, I'm, that's where I'm playing Digimon Survive. Shoo, hey, we've Sorry. got another. We can report her. Um, no, obviously, yeah, we, <laughs> we all uh, use our... Uh, I think every console, I'm, I'm switching between things constantly, obviously. You know, whether for work or for fun, uh, there's so much great stuff across all platforms. But PlayStation has, for us and for a lot of you out there, become the platform you primarily use. Um, so we want to jump in and talk about what made that happen for us, as well as read some comments from you out there in the audience. Some people responded to me on Twitter. Uh, and I'll say it at the top here and at the end of this segment as well. But if you would like to write in with your PlayStation origin story, write in to beyond at IGN.com uh, with a short synopsis, uh, you know, nothing uh, too essay length, but a few paragraphs at most maybe of what really got you into using your PlayStation hardware as like your primary platform. Did I do a good job, Mark? Did I miss anything? No, Perfect. no, I think you, I think you, I think you nailed it. You Perfect. Know? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you walk into a store and you can buy Elden Ring on Xbox or PlayStation. Why do you play, why do you buy it on the platform or, or PC? Why do you buy it on the platform? It's exactly like you said. It's not like, why is PlayStation the best? It's why this could be said by anybody. You know, yep. by any platform person why do you prefer pc why do you prefer xbox this is just a playstation so so we're gonna say why we prefer the platform we play on which just happens to be playstation yeah and, and if you'd like uh another spin on this topic you can check out my side podcast the ouya show where we'll talk about why we choose to play on the ouya i still play all my stuff on a, on a modded game gear it, oh, it, it uses so many batteries. Perfect. Um, the frame rate's terrible. Um, but they don't even make the type of battery it uses they don't anymore. anymore. Yeah. It's it's really a shame. <laughs> um, and I have to be plugged into my car because mm. that's how it just that's how, that's how it works. She only now. has the the car jack, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the old cigarette lighter jack. Yes, yeah, exactly. The only thing that's you can it. Use. Uh, well, we're going to talk about our origin stories right after this break. <laughs> Beyond and welcome back. We're talking about our PlayStation origin stories. What got us into PlayStation being our platform of choice? Uh, Mark, because this was your recommended topic, I do want to start with you and, and hear your, your story of uh, your PlayStation journey. Tell me. it. Sure. Okay. Um, I think, I think like a lot of people, I think it has to do with age, right? So I'm 34. And so there were pivotal moments every time a console came out, you know, where you kind of are in life. And I think that's sometimes what dictates what you play, right? So uh, my first console was a Nintendo 64, 1996. Um, 
So that's, you know, that's what I played games on because at that age, eight years old, I didn't care what I played games on. I just wanted to play games, right? Um, and then as I got older, I got more into JRPGs. So Final Fantasy VII, Brave Fencing Musashi, something I've talked about a bunch, uh, Final Fantasy VIII, Nine, Legend of Dragoon, all that kind of stuff. So obviously those all exist on the PlayStation. So, but back then, I thought about this. Back then, I, I was not a PlayStation gamer. I just, <laughs> those games were on PlayStation, so that's where I played them. I did not care that yeah. I was playing them on PlayStation. Because I, I feel like at that age, I feel like most people don't, right? You just want to play video games. None of that really matters. And I think also just like during that era, uh, it was less of consoles weren't a home like they are now, right? Um, and, and something we'll kind of get into later with the, with the later consoles. Um, so at the time, I just I played PS1 because that's where my favorite games were. Um, so naturally, I, I got a PS2 was the first console that was bought specifically for me, right? Like the Nintendo 64 was like a family console. So my PS2 was specifically for me, and that's where I played Final Fantasy X and uh, Dynasty Warriors and, and all those fun things. Um, but eventually we got to the point where it was now up to Mark to buy his own consoles, right? Uh, the 360 PS3 era came out in 2005, 2006, which is about when I was graduating high school. Um, so you're no longer at that age where you're like, Mom, buy me a, you know, very expensive console. He's like, buy it Or yourself. Santa. Or so, right. That's who bought yeah. some consoles. Or Stripe, the Gremlin. Or Stripe, the Gremlin, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I, ha I had a job. I worked at a McDonald's. It was my first job. And so um, initially, I Didn't say it was a know, Mark this Donald's. Is, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could say it was a Mark Donald's. It was a. It was a Mark Donald's. It made me every think time of I go to that McDonald's, I but... look around like, you guys, you guys keeping it in shape? They're like, who are you? And I'm like, I used to work here for like six months. And Back like, in the old days, I did six months at McDonald's too. That was fifteen years ago. <laughs> Just making sure this place is really falling apart since March. Do you ever get Big Mac sauce on the ceiling? What? I got Big I Mac sauce on the ceiling. I so I only <laughs> worked. Uh, I only worked breakfast when that's, I worked. That's a, a topic for another day. <laughs> you yeah. only worked breakfast. Yeah, I only worked okay. breakfast when I was there. I don't know why. I worked at five a.m. every single day. <laughs> thank you red for anyone who isn't watching the video version uh our wonderful producer uh red and jobert are also behind the scenes i can't say who picked what but uh this is a wonderful mcdonald's ad we're watching we right got now. mcdonald's b-roll uh yeah i only worked breakfast and literally dude people take mcdonald's breakfast so seriously mm -hmm. 5 30 in the morning is when we would open they'd be there at 5 a.m and my first day there was like an old man just beating his head up against the window with a 20 pressed up against the glass. Wow. And he was just like, and I'm like, dude, it's, it's really not that serious. <laughs> and that Anyways. 20 went toward the purchase of your first PlayStation console. Good mm -hmm. segue. Thank you for getting us back <laughs> on topic. Course, happy to. <laughs> but so go ahead, it didn't. Mark. It actually went towards my first Wii console because at that, at the, you know, it's time for Mark to buy his own console. And for some reason, I thought the Wii was cool. <laughs> we all did. So I get it. <laughs> It had Zelda. Anyways, had that, was, that, was, that was before the days when you realized that, like, Nintendo games, like, were a little different. You know, you're not getting the same version of Call of Duty if it's on there at all. Which, sure, third party in the early Wii cycle, yeah. there was all the same kind of games, mm -hmm. but they were Mass just Effect different was there. versions. <laughs> yeah. So, 
the Wii U. Uh, right? That eventually the led PS3, to, yeah. okay, am I going to get the PS3 or the 360? And as we all remember back then, PS3 was What's insanely expensive. Yeah, that was and, probably back when it was like 600 for the higher tier? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Also, and for me at the time, it, it didn't have any games I was interested in. I was yeah. more into Halo at that time and like Gears of War and like multiplayer games, Call of Duty. And so I was more inclined to get a 360. Again, there's no preference back then. You just got whatever you wanted. And then it wasn't eventually, it wasn't until uh, Beyond Two Souls came out. I was Beyond like, two. I really want to play this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was on a Juno high and I was like, I need <laughs> to play this game. Yeah. Juno had taken the world by storm. Sure. <laughs> I get it. Uh, Beyond Two Souls is still my favorite Quantum Dream game. I love that game. Um, so I borrowed a, P- a PS3 from a friend. And then uh, and it was one of those things where it was like, here, here's a PS3. You can play Beyond Two Souls. Give it back to me when you're done. I don't care. Whatever. And so then I started kind of messing around. And then eventually Last of Us came out. And then it became the thing where I was like, oh, this might be the kind of game I really like. Like these okay. really like more powerful like narrative driven games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then finally, when the PS4 and and Xbox One came out, I I like a lot of people kind of asked around. I'm like, yo, friends, what are we getting? And the PS4 at the time, like I have to, I can't emphasize much as enough. The PS3 controller <laughs> is awful. It's a really bad controller. It's so and lightweight. Yeah, it's, and the triggers are just so terrible, so but bad. How else would you control your dragons with your tilt function, guys? Oh, that's why they got rid of the six <laughs> axis. Yeah, they knew it was bad because games like Call of Duty, they 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 flipped the triggers. L one and R R one were your aim and shoot because they yeah. knew that those triggers sucked. Anyways, so then it was kind of like, okay, where where are we gonna go? And everybody was like, the PS four just seems so much more solid. It was a hundred dollars cheaper. Um. So I was working at like a Fry's Electronics warehouse at the time. Uh, and uh, this is honestly not that long before I started IGN. And uh, they were like, they have a they have a, a PS4 GameStop so we can go see what the controller feels like. Because I was like, if that controller sucks, I'm not getting it. If it's anything <laughs> like the PS3 controller, it's yeah. not going to happen. And as we all know, I have one right here. DualShock 4 is it's an great. amazing controller. It's so very good. good controller. Yeah. So instantly I put my hands on it and I was like, this is it, right? So I think my story is not that different from a lot of people. I think the PS4 was just way more appealing than the Xbox One at the time. It was, like I said, it was $100 more because it came bundled with Kinect. It had a lot of that like share controversy, which at the time I was kind of like, I don't care. And they obviously, none of that really even stuck anyways. But we all remember the very infamous like Xbox One reveal. And it was mm-hmm. just like Call of Duty, Call of Duty, sports, sports, TV, blah, blah, blah. This is your entertainment system. So then when I got my PS4, that's when I went back and I played all the Uncharted's. Because when the Nathan Drake collection came out, I played the new Infamous. I never played the old ones because they never came to PS4. Um, and yeah, so that's when I became like a PlayStation. You know, I learned what Platinum Trophies are. And <laughs> eventually that becomes your home, right? PS4 is really, the PS4 Xbox One era is really when you know, people really started to make their home with consoles, right? That's where I bought all my games, and that's just where that library started to build, right? So then that continues on, right? Now PS5 and Series X is out, and I own over 400 PlayStation games. So clearly that's kind of where I'm going to stick. And then, so yeah, that's that's my origin story. As far as, like, 
platform preference i honestly wish i didn't have one i think about it all the time <laughs> i wish i could just like not care and sure. just get a game and be like this is an xbox game or this is a pc game you're just you're playing the game what does it matter what you're playing on but i feel just so much more at home on my ps5 sure that's where i'm more comfortable to the fact to the point where i was playing outriders on game pass because it was free and i was like nah and I went and bought it for PlayStation. <laughs> so I could play on PlayStation. Because I was just like, this is just, if I'm going to play this game for a long, long time, this is where I want to play it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get what you mean. I, I do got to say, when you were uh, saying you own 400, I was waiting for you to say I own 400 PlayStation 5s now. For some reason, that was what I thought you were going to say. Mm. Um, and you'll sell them out to the, the community. The one thing I'm going to pick out of Mark's story is saying that his origin story is probably like everybody else's. And like, I don't think everybody else worked at McDonald's and then also at a Fry's Electronics because Fry's are very, like very selected stores to have well, or locations to have Fry's. warehouse, not an actual uh, Fry's Electronics. Okay. Well, that's where everyone well, worked. Yeah. We yeah. all had a college job at Fry's because, Warehouse. Because there was one way. Everybody lives in the one town where that warehouse happened to be. That <laughs> That's how the world is the job. I, God damn it, Red. And we've got Fry's <laughs> B-roll on the video as well. Fantastic. The company um, shut down, Red. This is all outdated <laughs> B-roll. Also, that computer looks like from when I was in school. But you can oh get Enter the Matrix on sale I'm trying now. to remember what the company was that used to be before it was Fry's. It was like something. There was some company. I can't remember what it was called. It was something universe. I, but. Honestly, probably eight years ago, I probably would have known the answer. That's well, the job I left to work at IGN. Wow. Well, while you think of that and whatever that name is, we're going to take a quick break and come back right after this. Welcome back. We're talking about our PlayStation origin stories and, of course, the uh, shared experience of all of us working at Fry's Warehouse. Uh, but no, Mark, I, you know, to your point, you're saying... I'll, a lot of people, I do think to a certain extent, there are definitely, and I know that there's a lot who listen, of long-term PlayStation fans, but I do know a lot of people, even from the tweets we got, of a lot of people, the PS4 was the moment where, like you said, PlayStation became where they played. And I think it was the ubiquity of it. I think it's something where, like, even if you didn't know about the sort of infamous E3 and the launch reveal of the Xbox and those stumbles and then PlayStation kind of like coming in with a, a pretty biting, you know, showcase after that. I think even if you didn't know about it, the PS4 was just so everywhere so instantly. Um, and the games that were on it were built to be such cinematic blockbusters that I think it brought in such a wide appeal for people. Um, and then where your friends are playing also has a big impact. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there who have a similar sort of like maybe they played PlayStation before, but PS4 was kind of what solidified it for them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Knowing that in mind, Jada, what about you? What sort of was your road to PlayStation? Yeah, um, so I actually, my PS2 was, the PS2 was the first console that I actually bought for myself. Mm -hmm. I was like a freshman in high school. I worked all summer, saved up my money. My grandpa took me on to the, the military base where I could buy my PlayStation without tax because <laughs> I was short and he's like, there we go. And yeah. so that helped me get my first PlayStation. Um, I had a PS1 before that, but uh, my dad had got it, and it was like, all like only game I got was like this blank CD, and it had like 30 games on there, and like hmm. none of them were PlayStation 2 games. They were like Sega Genesis games that oh, were yeah. on there. It was so weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the PS2 is where I, I really fell in love with the system. Um, I picked it up, and I got the Bouncer, was my, which I've talked about numerous times on yes. the show. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite uh, Square, uh, Square Soft games before it was Square Enix. Yeah. Um, and I picked that up. Jack and Daxter and Dark Cloud um, were the first three games I played on my PS2. Um, and those games just really just 
it took me to a whole new world. Like I've played so many games on the 64, the Genesis, the, um, everything else before that, the NES, and like putting in and being able to putting in a disc and be able to play Jack and Daxter and just explore that whole world and everything. It was just, it was mind blowing for me yeah. at that age. Um, I think what, uh, you know, that was kind of what got me into it. I think what, um, you know, really started to solidify me was like, I came into my love of RPGs at that time. Final Fantasy X was a huge influence for me in my, my role-playing games. Um, I fell in love with that game. I got it for, I think for my birthday, cause it came out right around my birthday that year. And I was like, I'll try this Final Fantasy game. Why not? Let's see what it's about. Yeah. Um, and absolutely fell in love with Final Fantasy X. Uh, so much so that uh, one of my friends I met senior year of high school lent me his copy of Final Fantasy VII for the PS1 because I had never played that. He said, oh, you've got to play this one. <laughs> played all the way through the uh, the first disc, went to swap to the second disc, and it, like, skipped at a point. So I, like, oh. took it out, cleaned the disc, oh, and yeah. while I was cleaning it in my hand, it snapped. And I was like, oh, oh no. well, this is cool because I have no idea where to find this darn game. gripped it. <laughs> I had it in my palm of my hand and I was, I, and it just, I guess yeah. it just hit a crease or oh, a crack man. in my hand. I don't know what, yeah. what, it, what happened, but I was young. I was dumb. I didn't know what I was doing cleaning my games. Um, and you shouldn't have been using olive oil to clean it also. I that mean, was a mistake as that well. And, I, I was, I read online. It was a very limited internet access back sure. in Dornbush. I yeah. read olive oil and Lego bricks was the way to fix your discs. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I hindsight, used. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It is. Yeah. We can talk about her past mistakes. We can <laughs> talk about how she grew from them. Exactly. Um, but I ended up, I got lucky and I found a spare copy at like some like FYI or FYE like yes. store yeah. in a mall and they had it and the case was cracked, but like, I ended up getting it for like six bucks because the case was cracked. You're like, <laughs> we're getting rid of this, these PS one games and the games cases cracked. So a big discount I'm like sold. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I managed to replace, finish the game and then replace it. You know, the copy from my friend. Nice. Um, but, uh, you know, I were, I, after leaving McDonald's like Mark, um, I actually went to GameStop and worked at GameStop for many years. And yeah. I saw the rest of the launches up through the PS four. Well, PS3 and PS4, I guess. I wasn't there for PS5. I left right before that. Um, thank goodness, because launches for consoles, if you guys haven't worked at a GameStop, they suck. <laughs> They're so, it's just are ridiculous. Are people really antsy about getting their consoles? People that seems are surprising. extremely antsy. <laughs> and the midnight launches, mm -mm, yeah. no fun. Yo, um, working at GameStop, though, when I was young, man, that that was the dream. Oh, yeah. I would have killed to work at a GameStop. I worked at Hollywood Video, which was connected to a Game Crazy. And I would just like hang out there all the time. I, I don't know how many people remember Game Crazy, but it I was bought my first like... DS there. Oh wow! We yeah. are name checking so many like early two thousand stores. And yeah, I we're old. It. It's we're incredible. Old. This is just we're a old. podcast of like here's a story about how old we are. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> Sorry, get to a blockbuster youth. story next, I guess. Yes. Um, but yeah, so you saw those. Consoles yeah, so through I saw those consoles there. through launch. I bought the PS three sixty gig, that six hundred dollar yeah. massive model, um, and like fell in love with Infamous and Uncharted, and like as like PlayStation was really becoming a brand for mascots like we always had like crash and tomb raider and yeah. all those other types of big pinnacle franchises for playstation but the ps3 is really where they started to step up and really fully establish these characters like granted we didn't get any more jack and daxters we did get new sly coopers we got new ratchets like but it really started to make a name for itself there and then like mark said the ps4 is like the whole snafu around the launch between the ps4 and the xbox i as a manager at a GameStop, I had a really hard time recommending Xboxes to people because a, it was more expensive. It came, yeah. most people were very turned off by the motion controls and the connect. Yeah. They're like, I don't want something in my living room listening to me all the time or sure. a camera in my living room. Yeah. Like 
fast forward to now and we everybody's were so got... silly back then <laughs> yeah <laughs> we sure saved off that issue and yes. there's no concerns at all but no, not at all like to your point the ps3 era i think is it, it's looked back on as definitely the roughest start for playstation but similar to the you know the xbox era that we've seen under phil spencer like playstation needed a reason to get people to come and like you said it was building up those franchises during ps3 the way they've built up game pass on xbox this past generation it's very like they want to bring people in and it definitely did that for a lot of people. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that's, you know, it just, I felt like the experience and everything I got on PlayStation just seemed to outweigh my experiences on Xbox. And I was a huge 360 player. Yeah. Um, but also I went through like nine Xbox 360s because of the whole red, red ring, ring of, of death. death. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, like at that point I was like, I'm kind of over trusting Xboxes stuff right now. Like, because Granted, I didn't pay anything for any of my replacements, but I was still going two weeks at a every, time at a time without my Xbox every couple of months. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't like I don't want to wait to play this game anymore. I want to just be able to play through it. Yeah. So But no, I mean so, to your so, point. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I, I was gonna say I actually had was thinking about like the red ring of death and like to me, like the Xbox really hit its stride when it came out with the black slim like the, mm -hmm. to me that's the like canon xbox 360 in my mind i forget about the big white you know <laughs> and what's hilarious is the original white xbox 360 didn't even have an hdmi port it only had yep. the like colors um that didn't come till a little bit later and then eventually the the black slim when they I got think, rid of the i think you actually issue. did have i think the they had the black elite for the old school model actually i think it did have the hdmi if i remember right but that was the old you, it cost like an extra like 50 to 100 bucks mm -hmm. at the 360 launch to get that one if i remember uh, okay. correctly so like, i was i was thinking about how bad that was for them for 360 mm -hmm. the 360 era right like there's yeah. like documentaries about like what they went through about them having to eventually be like hey you know we're 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 going to have to eat the cost for this or like we're done right and they and they they pushed through and they they were able to make a very successful is. uh yeah also there it is there's a hdmi port hdmi world, so i mean the big about. revolutions of the um, day mm -hmm. but to but to go back to oh go ahead mark oh, i was gonna i was just sorry the 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 opposite of that ps3 had a lot of its own issues as well right like oh, yeah. this was during yeah. that contentious time that um you know xbox 360 had paid online play where ps3 didn't but i think most people can admit that the ps3's online like wasn't that great um and uh which we had that why big so outage people... huh well the big then, outage which eventually happened. led to that huge outage that mm -hmm. you know prevented people from playing their online games for a long time like yeah. a really long time months I, I can't remember exactly how long it was i think it went on at least a full month uh or almost right. um like, but yeah no such a long time and so unheard of and then obviously the yellow light of death, which was never as like big as red, red as red, red. Right? Yeah. It's but so Jada, funny. Like what that era went mm -hmm. through. Uh, Jada, to your point of, you know, the PS2 era um, and square, we had several people uh, respond to my tweet being like, yeah, as a square fan, uh, Christopher wrote in and another Chris did as well. Two Chris's wrote in about Chris being square squared. fans. Chris squared. Chris squared. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, said as square fans, PlayStation was just kind of like that natural fit. And, yeah. you know, especially during PS1 and PS2 era, you weren't getting those games elsewhere. I mean, you had, there was no better place to play RPGs. Yeah. And like, and PS2 nope. was also the starting point for God of War. Like, yeah. we can't forget, like, that came out, like, towards the very end. The first God of War came out towards the very end of God of War, our PS2 lifespan. And yeah. it was just massive. And then like, God of War 2, I think, came out after the PS3 was even yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was a huge era. But yeah, I think 
PS4 and PS2, there's obviously a lot of like PlayStation 1 original fans, but I think PS2 and PS4 are where you see those really big batches of people come in. So it's cool that you both kind of represent that. Um, I fall somewhere in between. Uh, so for me with PlayStation, uh, I am a little bit similar. I had a PlayStation 1. Um, and I, I will say in advance, apologies, the story gets a little sad, but it has a, a happy ending at the end. Uh, PlayStation 1, uh, Crash and Spyro, kind of like you were saying, the mascot platformers, that was all I played. That was the focus. Mm -hmm. And those were, uh, I was lucky and fortunate enough that my mom was a huge gamer, as I've said on the show before. And so she would play Crash and Spyro all the I would come home from school and she'd be playing them. And so we would play a lot together. But we also had a Nintendo. And so it wasn't like either was our primary console. Like mm -hmm. I didn't care about PlayStation, kind of like Mark said when I was a kid. Uh, PS2, I got it because it had Kingdom Hearts on it, and I really wanted to play Kingdom Hearts, having never played a Final Fantasy game before. But I liked Disney. But again, I didn't care about the PS2. Like, it wasn't a thing that, like, this was my game. I actually was a big GameCube person. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved from the GameCube to the 360. Uh, and the 360 was where I played a ton of games for many years. Um, I think, like, 2006 to 2009. Um, and then... I believe it was 2009 uh, when Uncharted 2 came out, unless I'm forgetting the years. Um, but in 2009, my mom passed away at the beginning of the year. And, you know, she was the person I played games with all the time. I was in a weird place with games for most of that year. I didn't want to play a lot of games. It felt like I had lost, like, my co-op player, for, yeah. you know. Uh, and so I wasn't really playing a lot of games throughout that year. But then I heard all this hype around Uncharted 2, and I heard it was like the cinematic revolution of gaming, and that it was just this stunning experience, and you had to see it, and you had to experience it. And I was like, all right, I'll get, I'll ask for a PS3 for Christmas. And my dad wanted to make sure I had a decent Christmas after, you know, the first year my mom passed away. And so he got me a PS3 and like six or seven PlayStation 3 games. He was like, whatever you ask for, I'll just give it to you. And, um, you know, I spent, I think those like two weeks off from school, just nonstop playing my PlayStation 3. Like it was all I did. And it was sort of one of those things where it was like, this is my first console without my mom, the person who got me into gaming. So I'm forming an emotional attachment as I'm playing through all these games, but also it was helping to like, I would have loved to share those experiences as well. And so I was like, it was a very big mixture of emotions as the PlayStation 3 was coming out, or as, as I was playing the PlayStation 3, because this was a few years after it came out. But it so solidified it for me as like a system I cared about on another level. Uh, and I cared so deeply about what I was playing, especially as I got into it and was starting to understand trophies. And like I said, like I'd had a PSP, I'd had a PS2, I'd had a PS1, but like PlayStation didn't matter to me as a name. But the PS3, once I had it and once I was playing Uncharted and going back to old games that were getting collections and playing new games like Infamous and all that, it was like, oh, I'm kind of discovering games for the first time by myself. Like this is me getting to figure out who I am as someone who plays games and what interests me without someone in the house who also plays games. And so the PS3 kind of was there for me when I needed it. And then it became like the most played thing for me. And I knew at the time, you know, like multi-platform games typically ran better on Xbox 360 for a mm -hmm. long time and all that sort of thing. But I just couldn't, I was all in. I was in on trophies. I was in on the PS3 uh, cross media bar. I was, you know, playing through everything wherever I could on my PS3. And it, it just kind of formed this attachment that when the PS4 came out, Aside from all of the like outside stuff of the you know E3 showcases, there was never a doubt in my mind that I would get a anything but a PS4. Um, and like I genuinely believe, had I not like fallen in love with the PS3 at that time and really like come to appreciate it, 
I don't think I'd be doing this. I don't think I'd be doing, you know, talking about PlayStation here with y'all. So uh, for me, it was the PS3 era, even though that's often looked at as like that weird in-between era for PlayStation mm-hmm. where it was figuring itself out. But yeah, I, I loved the PS3. Well, I am <laughs> glad I did not wear eyeliner today. Um, <laughs> um, I had no idea that's where the story you were telling today for your origin story. And But thank you for sharing this with that with us. And like, yeah. it was, it's very touching. Um, that. Yeah, uh, no, but yeah, I 100% agree. The PS3 was an amazing generation for a lot of kind of, I, I think of it as Sony's kind of like teenage phase, where yes, it was like very yeah. experimental, figuring, figuring itself, itself out. out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I love my PS3. I like, there were so many great games and like, I was lucky enough to get the 68 backwards compatibility one. So I was able to still play all my old games on my PS3, no problem. So like, it was a no brainer for me versus going um you know playing a lot of stuff on 360 but i i mean i still racked up i think 70k gamer score on my 360 in its lifespan yeah. like it was ridiculous like i ended up, i think i'm at like 120 now or something <laughs> like that but oh, wow. like over half my points came from that 360 era alone yeah yeah there's i mean i think almost any era that you come from from playstation it's a lot of great origin yeah. stories and we want to hear them from you out there we're running a little short on time so i'm going to read one in that we got uh to beyond at ign.com but if you want to share yours please share them at beyond at ign.com with the subject line playstation origin story we'll read some uh on the show as we go but uh this one came in from diane diane said kingdom hearts came onto the ps2 and my family was able to get the game for us i also spent a lot of time playing the tony hawk series then and watching my brothers play it because i'm the youngest with eight years between me and my oldest brother uh and five years between me and the middle brother i found a love for video games very early on and i never quote fit in at school or my other social environments because video games were still a boy activity. I didn't care though, I just knew I loved it. PS3 came out and we skipped the generation and played 360 and Xbox One, but both my brothers moved out and I started going out with my new fian- my now fiance in 2016 and he got a PS4 in about 2017. And I was so excited for him because he got to play Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5, hell yeah. Long story short, he went out of town and left his PlayStation at my house so I could play it while he was gone. I played it all week long and was super excited to replay the whole series. In January of 2020, I managed to get the Target Black Friday sale and got a one terabyte PS4 with God of War, Last of Us, and Horizon Zero Dawn for under 300. Next thing we knew, it's COVID and we were under lockdown, and the more PlayStation exclusives I got to play, the more and more I was excited about it. My fiance uh, and I do game together and are super excited for Ragnarok to come out as well. Um, uh, Diane also says they don't get to play uh, games with their brothers as much anymore, but uh, do still think about the days watching them play Tony Hawk and begrudgingly letting me play because my mom forced them to. Before we wrap up, uh, I do want to just give you both 20 seconds. Go real quick. Say how good Cult of the Lamb is. Oh, my goodness. Um, my cult is the cult of the Hundred Acre Woods, and I sacrificed Eeyore because he asked me to. Wow, it's dark. amazing. It's dark, but it's amazing. Mark? Uh, the music. The music is so good. It's, it's one of the so best good. soundtracks I've heard this year. It is it's great. good, and I love the game. You should all play Cult of the Lamb. Uh, you should also play Roller Drone, which before we wrap up, I'm going to throw to an interview I did with one of the devs at Roll7 about how cool this new game is that's now available on PlayStation. Beyond and welcome back, everyone. Jonathan here with a very exciting interview for you. I hope it's exciting because we're talking about one of my favorite games of the year. Somehow uh, a studio that has created two of my favorite games this year. Uh, that's Roll7. We're talking this week about Roller Drone, which is out this week on PlayStation. Uh, if you haven't already picked it up, hopefully we'll be able to give you a little bit of a sense of what the game is, how it came together, and why it is so awesome. Uh, but joining me this week to talk all about it is Simon Bennett from Roll7. Thank you so much for joining me, Simon. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? 
Good to see you. Um, very much appreciate you taking the time. Hope uh, hope to learn a little bit about the game from you and, and sort of uh, Roll7's philosophy and bringing it to life. Uh, I'm going to try to give a brief description of what it is, and you tell me if I'm completely off the mark, but uh, I've been playing a bit and really loving it. It is essentially what if extreme sports were so extreme you had to compete for your life to a certain extent uh and so it is a mixture of really cool uh rollerblading or roller skating i never know which is which uh it's roller skating it is roller skating there are four quadratic wheels should we say quadratic is that what i think so quad system there's a quad system excellent it's 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 like a car on your feet. There we go. It's four wheels. Yep. Um, <laughs> a combination of that and really awesome arena-based shooting uh, sort of, not death matches, but you're going up against a host of uh, enemies that are placed around the map for you, and you're trying to do your best at both killing them and doing it in the most stylish way possible while also uh, achieving some other goals throughout. Is, is that a pretty good apt description of it? I can quit my job. You have you very Perfect. clearly and succinctly <laughs> described our game. Uh, that's, it's always good when, when yeah, when we've done that good a job, uh, and you play the game, you're like, I get it. I get what they were trying to do. That that was our intention. Yeah, it's it's blast while skating um, on roller skates. So yeah, that's <laughs> broadly well, the. It's. It's been a blast to play, and and I really love the combination. You know, I'm coming off of uh, months of playing Ali Ali World, which I will take any time to tell people to go play as well. Um, and and I'm sort of curious, you know, just it, obviously talking about sort of back to back, amazing, incredible like action games that the team has put together in this way. But um, I guess sort of you know, initial sense, where did the idea for this strange combo, or like what was exciting about this idea of Roller Drome? Uh, that the team wanted to take on, especially with it being a 3D game. It's very different from Ali Ali World. What were sort of the interests with this project? Yeah, R- Rollerdrome is a is an odd project for Roll7. It's the first project where the creative direction, the genesis of the ideas actually come from outside of the studio. Um, through various wonderful contacts that we have uh, in the industry, we were made to know about uh, not only the game, but the creator of the game, uh, Paul Rabbit, who'd been uh, building a prototype uh, in his own time um, and, and sort of getting some traction on, on social media. Uh, and, and really, they, you know, we were introduced to the project with a view that this could be the perfect blending of everything that we'd done uh, from the sort of skip flow state um, gameplay of Oli Oli, that sort of skater understanding that the skateboarding um, understanding of the studio to um, the sort of more bombastic side of things from Not a Hero and then also the arena sort of future sport vibe of Laser League. Um, I think Rollerdrome really always represented, I guess, like the, the kind of pinnacle of the things that we'd done to that point. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of time talking with Paul, um, thinking about where we could take the project and, and how we could actually turn it into a reality from, you know, just essentially a gray box, a gray box prototype. And we've spent the last three years working very closely with him, building a team around it um, and bringing, you know, the, the, the sort of, I guess, things that we've learned over the past 15 years into into the fore and, and hopefully put together something that I think represents a really exciting, uh, you know, a really exciting new IP for the studio. Um, so it's, 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 we're yeah, like so excited to be able to put it out. To be able to put it out so so 
soon after Oli Oli World is is pretty insane. Um, it's been a busy few years, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it is it's an awesome game, and I think the team, um, are, you know, should be incredibly proud um, of what we've what we've got. Um, we're, we're yeah over the moon with it. So, um, you know, that's a, a amazing to hear, sort of of the like the outside nature of the original idea. But like to your point. It, at least as a fan, it does feel so in line with what I think of when I think of Roll7 games. It really does fit into a lot of the different ethos, whether it is Ali Ali or Not a Hero and, and Lazy League and everything. It does sort of run the gamut of all that. I guess, you know, out of curiosity or sort of from that initial idea, what were things that the team, you know, what was Roll7 hoping? Like, why did it seem to make such a fit? Or, or what were some things mm. that the team wanted to bring to it um, that they saw as a spark for that initial idea? Yeah, I, th- I think quite interestingly, like we'd been sent the prototype. We didn't actually initially jump on and play the prototype. It was when we saw the GIFs online that I think we saw the the ambition and the and the real the real focus around like bombastic flow state action around making like moments where you feel like a badass. And I think at at their core, all Roll7 games are like very crunchy, feel-related flow games, right? Everything's everything's really responsive. Everything's really, you know, the game plays well and, and feels well. And it's something that we've already, always focused on. And I think when you see, when we saw those GIFs, like we played the game and, and the, feel, the feel wasn't there, obviously, at that stage. It was an early prototype, but... I think it was looking at those gifts and thinking, could we create a game where like with not too much practice and not too much work, you could get to a position where most players could actually feel like a badass playing it, rolling around and shooting people. And I think with a view that like with a bit more practice, taking yourself through it and really getting into it, that you could really start to master some of those um, some of those unique sort of combo sets and, and, and murderous mayhem around the arena. And I think like that was always the challenge. It's like, how do you get people to feel as badass as the gifts as, as soon as possible? Because once we can get people into that state, that's when you're hooked. That's when the game really clicks. And uh, yeah, I think that was always our ambition with the game. It was always what we wanted to achieve with it. And I think it's the thing that we come back to whenever sort of development is is sort of maybe taking a taking a path that that we're not sure about it was always like how do we make sure that people get to feel like like that um so yeah that was that was the ambition that's that's what the studio really wanted to focus on and i think yeah hopefully we've made a great game for Rollerdrome, we've made a great game with Paul, um, but also we've made a, ge- a great Roll7 game and something that people will look at and say, yeah, this is a Roll7 uh, title. And speaking to that, I, I feel one of the things that I, you know, I, especially seeing it, people may have, you, you see a great gif as you're saying, it looks so cool and you're like, I hope I can pull that off. It can maybe feel a little mm. daunting to jump in where you're like, oh, I gotta, mm. I, I have to figure out how to skate well, but I also need to uh, be able to shoot accurately. The game feels mm. like, as you were saying, it does a lot to make sure you're getting the hang of things slowly, whether it's the, you know, just even the basic tutorialization that happens within the context mm. of the game 
or the ramp up of difficulty as you get through new arenas and new enemy types, new weapon types. It feels mm. well laid out. I imagine that was like a key part of it was making sure things get doled out at the right time and giving people that flow. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, you know, like, and if Paul's watching this, no offense to him at all, like, you know, when you play the first prototype, we're, we're trying to link a lot of different gameplay elements together. And, you know, it, the original the original that we, we had, there was, uh, like, you had to land every trick. Like, there was a, a lot of extra things, extra sort of, essentially sort of brain space that the player was needing to interact with to actually get, to that point and so we we started being quite reductive with that and say right well do do we need do we need to have all of the elements of a shooter and do we also need to have all of the elements of a skater like if you try and like combine both of those things together you're going to have bandwidth chaos it's going to be a real struggle to actually interact with with those and so we're going to need to be reductive around specific elements of both of those genres in order that they might meld in a way that is, um, you know, I guess um, sort of that goes hand in hand as opposed to as opposed to not. And I think that was was always our biggest challenge was was working out how we can introduce you to the right parts of those mechanics at the right point uh, and not overload you as a player. And I think you know lots of player testing. Um, uh, lots of you know deep discussions around you know have we gone too far. Should we should we be pulling back a bit? Lots of balance, but you know, I think what we what we have now is is a really um, a really balanced way of introducing people to it. And I think what's exciting is you know, especially throughout uh, a lot of that player testing, was just seeing people within 10, 15 minutes having one of those moments and being like, oh, I thought it was going to be way harder to get to one of those moments. It's being able to do those moments, you know, seamlessly in a massive combo and and like maintaining that sort of flow throughout that you're you're kind of aiming for. So I think uh yeah, it's been it's been a challenge and it's been something that the team have have really, you know, got behind and and, and we've been sort of driving home right to the finish line. Yeah, there's been so many times where I'll complete, especially as I've gotten to more difficult levels and I have, you know, four weapons and some are closer range, some are, uh, you know, more area of effect or or have a larger impact of things versus just like the dual pistols you start with. I uh, will play through a level, do okay, and then immediately see the like 12 different places I could have been doing tricks while I was shooting or finding a better flow through a level. It's the, the two sides of it, I guess, feed really well into each other, which to your point, I guess, is a lot of fine-tuning and testing and figuring out how much is too much on either side to to make sure mm. it all works together cohesively, I would imagine. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's great moments for people who haven't jumped in where sort of, even at its base state, you know, you're doing awesome tricks to be able to refill your ammo so that you can go back into a really cool... Uh, you know, land and you're able to take out a few enemies as you go, or maybe you're shooting enemies mid-jump. Um, does, you, you know, the the flow of things, as you were saying, feels really important, but that also speaks to, like, level design. Did, you know, I, at a broad level, did these, the spaces that you're fighting in, did they go through a lot of different changes? Were, were some, like, <laughs> basic ideas set up? Because you, you have some things that are, yeah. like, indoor arena, like an indoor mall, a snowy outside environment. There are some themes that run throughout it, but I'm curious how those, like, came to be, basically. Yeah, I think you know, obviously throughout development, we, we played around with much, much larger uh, level design, you know, huge open spaces with, 
multiple different paths and we tried creating areas with much i don't know more gauntlet style areas we been through the gamut of different of different um different sort of levels and fundamentally decided that more compact arenas was was going to be the the optimum route um and and really allowing you to find kind of i guess almost just you know figures of eight essentially around the arena um where you could kind of find optimum lines to go in and and kind of create havoc whether that's through skating or you know linking up um sort of taking on the house players and i think initially we were very gray box with everything and just finding that 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 sort of perfect mix of you know just getting the right size for the level um you know this isn't a game that's existed before there's not a huge amount of um of anything that we can point to with regard to like how big these things should be or what sort of shape they should be so there's a lot of um iteration on there and our, our level team uh, did a remarkable job i think when it came to dressing them the the thinking there really was viewing it through the lens of a director making a film about 2030 but in 1970 <laughs> so really <laughs> odd concept but really like low budget um thinking creatively about like what character you know what characters could be wearing what you know what sort of places we could be so like not too fantastical or remarkable because that's going to cost a lot of money like cgi might not be that good in the 70s so it it was a really interesting way of doing it because we could have gone totally fantastical with it but i think viewing it through that very sort of i guess budget stricken um director mindset of someone in the 70s actually gave us a really strong hook for which to build out not only the levels but the narrative scenes as well to to find that space for the soundtrack to come together into it as well and and you know some of that just just that that real vibe that we went down um it, it, that's the reason that that those that those um locations are i wouldn't say unremarkable but they're not they're not absolutely fantastical and i think it's that sort of restrained vision that really helped us there they are spaces that i think are really well built for the gameplay here but you're right it's not like you're going into an arena that has like billions of futuristic lights and and like spectacle to yeah. it there's a like a brutalist nature to it almost sometimes yeah. of like um very, as, yeah that like retro futurist look to it i think if, if anyone hasn't seen what the game looks like i can't encourage you enough to go check out it because it's beautiful to look at but that yeah, that balance between old and new is is really immediate as you're playing through. And um, to, to your point, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, and I don't don't want to spoil it for people, but there is a there is a narrative that threads this all. Um, there is a, a story that you experience as you go through. Was the you know the inclusion of that something? You know, I, obviously something like Ali Ali World also has a narrative running through it here. It's um, uh, it, it lets you figure things out. There's a little bit of mystery to it as you're, as you're going through it. And I, I really enjoyed the appeal of that. Mm. Was that something that was kind of there from the early days of the project or did that come in as you were, as the team was figuring out how to bring it all together? It, it was actually interestingly something that there was a GIF made um, with uh, a, a sort of first person uh, camera view, wandering around a locker sequence and then, essentially sort of morphing into that third person view throughout, you know, through into a tunnel and then out into a level. Um, so the, the vision was always very much set um, 
that, that this game you know had the potential to have narrative um we we had a lot of deep discussion as to whether putting resources into um sort of essentially like a side narrative for this game was going to be was going to be a valuable <laughs> valuable piece of effort um or not and and actually i'm so glad that we went down the route that we did it is a um it's a lovely way of just framing some of the stuff that's going on but without being too um over the top it's not ramming it down your throat and you don't have to engage with it if you don't really don't want to if you just want to skate you can but if you want to explore that slightly darker um side of the sport um highlighting like you know the the sort of this like this this company Matterhorn, I can talk about Matterhorn, like there's this this big major sort of corporation that's running everything in the world and they're using this sport um in a particular way. Like it it's a lovely, lovely framing for why you're doing what you're doing. And I think like there's just a lot of little um little tidbits in there for, for people who really want to kind of dig further into to what we wanted to do with Roller Drome. So yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil or, no. or get too too heavily into the plot, but I love I love Matterhorn. I like how dark they are. I like how representative they are of um, some of the things that might be going on today as well. So. I was so shocked at that part of the game, and I can't recommend enough. Like as you said, if if people want to, they can just kind of in those first person sequ- sequences get plopped in, run to the door, and then get right into the skating. If that if that's what they're there yeah. for, you can totally do that. But there's so many little details that you all nestle in those scenes and they're quick scenes, but you, there's so much there. And as you said, it's really reflective in surprising ways. Uh, and, and I think does a really excellent job of, of tying into some very, very present day themes, but something that is told really well through this exaggerated story in this exa- exaggerated world and sport that we're, you know, engaging in throughout the game. Yeah. We, we work with a, a, a fantastic narrative designer um, who's a, a writer, he's a sci-fi writer, uh, Tom Mullen. Uh, Thomas McMullen, who 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 joined us on the project and 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 really built out this fantastic world for us to hang hang this sport on, uh, working very closely with our, our creative director Paul and uh, you know that what's come out of that I think it, it's it is something that that we're we're very proud of and I think when you combine yeah when you combine that with the with the music like those those sequences are are really quite pretty. Um, so yeah, happy with that. Very happy with that. Yeah, they're they're a joy to experience, and and as you've mentioned a few times, the the soundtrack is excellent because that's one of those things that I think, you know, obviously, just as the easy comparison for the for the two games that the studio has put out so recently, but Ollie Ollie World's uh, soundtrack and score really presents this very flow, chill, getting you into that zone of things. And here mm-hmm. there is a, I, I think there's a very zen sort of aspect to the the music, but it also amps up and really ties into the the thrill of the sport in in a really great way mm. um were, were there certain you know themes or things that the team wanted to capture when it came to the the sound side of it mm. this is this is the one the one part of the studio that i still have <laughs> sort of wrestled to to man to, to maintain control over uh, <laughs> which is it's it is the music side it's the side that i i've, I've always been sort of heavily involved in and this was the biggest challenge that we had putting together a soundtrack for in, a, in any game in one way and then totally the opposite once we'd found the right person for it. But the the ambition that Paul had as our creative director was essentially 
to create a new genre of music, which is 70s, um, chip, 70s, uh, where are we? Oh my God, my brain has just gone, has fried. Um, 70s synthwave style music. And obviously you have 80s synthwave, <laughs> that's fine. But like <laughs> 70s, okay. And, and so when we were sitting down saying, right, well, can you point to any music that that actually is representative of what you want in this game? He would point to a bunch of music that was quite 80s. Maybe some of it have some 70s elements. But for about six months, we were on this impossible journey of, of essentially like meeting with and discussing with synth synthwave artists about trying to create this new sound. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we we had two or three dead starts. And at one point we thought we, we, we are going to be abs get absolutely nowhere with this. And then one of the artists that we'd reached out to um, Ian, um, who is Electric Dragon, who ultimately put the soundtrack together, um, sent some tests over. And Ian, Ian is, you know, of the seventies, <laughs> like he's an older, uh, older electro synthwave producer. Made some amazing stuff. Um, very like eighties focus, but this was like a challenge that he took on, not just like as a oh, this will be fun to do this. Like he's an avid gamer himself. He'd never, never put together a score for a game. And he started churning out music like no other. Like he was sending four or five tracks on a Monday, uh, having worked over the weekend. He was buying old retro, like 70s synths from Russia and oh, like wow. getting so lost in the process and literally like, the the soundtrack just wrote itself once he came on board and it is the the ambition with it was was it was constantly driving we didn't want too many build-up sections we wanted it to be pretty much just intense um and like it is such a remarkable set of original tracks something emblematic with something very like like iconic about a lot of the themes in there and some of them are like, have I heard this theme before? Like they're they're very <laughs> iconic, but like driven through this very sort of seventies sound. And yeah, like for those people who want to get through to the end of the game uh, and play um, the uh, Out for Blood, which is um, sort of new game plus, there's a whole set of remixes of the entire soundtrack that you can then play through um, with with the Out for Blood mode. So uh, again, like the, the soundtrack itself. Like it was the hardest for us to come together on as a studio of any of our games, but when it did come together, I'd say it's probably the best output that we've had musically. And yeah, massive props to to Ian Electric Dragon on on putting that together. He's playing live at the launch event tomorrow night. I'm very excited to oh, see wow. that. So. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic score that I think complements the visual side, the gameplay side, like really, as you get into it, having that score there, I think elevates it, the, you know, the action that you're doing so well. And I appreciate that the team has put out, um, some of that music beforehand. Uh, people can go, you know, listen to it on streaming platforms yep. and such. Yeah, you can listen to the whole soundtrack. Is it all out? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It is all out. Yeah. Awesome. Go check it out. It is, yeah. I I think the first time I saw the the first theme come out, I had it like looping in the background for a full day of work because it's just it's it's really great stuff that the team put together there. And I think, you know, as we've said, this is really a game where you can. There are those details to pull into. I think replaying levels, I've come to appreciate so much more of the the way things are laid out, the the intric intricacies of kind of what 
it's implying about the world and and the larger state of things but there is such a a core of an amazing uh really crunchy action shooting slash skating uh you know suite of gameplay here that the team has really put together so you know simon congrats to the team on this congrats on such a busy year for the studio legitimately when i say it i mean it both games are two of my favorite games this year i don't know how y'all did it but it is uh really awesome to see so you know thank you so much for taking the time Thank you so much. We set out three years ago to to make to make your 2022, Jonathan. So I, I'm <laughs> I'm very glad that that we've we've delivered on that. No, and yeah, just th- thank you so much for for you know supporting uh, supporting both games. Um, and yeah, we, we cannot wait to see what people think of this tomorrow. Um, grab it on PlayStation. Uh, grab it on Steam. Uh, super awesome launch price as well. Um, so yeah, get involved. And there's a you can yeah there's a there's a demo as well on PlayStation Plus. Uh, yes, for PlayStation yeah. Plus premium trial. Yeah, if you're you're curious nice. about jumping in, I definitely recommend taking it for a spin there. But I've I've been having such a blast. I, I we haven't even mentioned the the sort of like dual sense integration. I think it feels so great on the controller as well. What the team has kind of put together there of the the way the different guns feel, the skating, the feel of it really comes through well on the controller as well. So I've been having a blast there too. Um, oh, that's that's really good to hear. I know the team will 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 love that as well. Again, something that we really wanted to focus on when we having early conversations with the team at PlayStation, the uh, the Dual Sense was right at the top of the list there. So yeah, uh, it's 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 been a again a lot of work for the team to to really bring that to the fore. But it's it feels pretty crunchy. So yeah, yeah, very happy with it, that. It's a great feeling game, and I can't recommend it enough to people. Uh, also, so that. You know, I I know it's going to happen, but for these few brief days where I've been pretty high on the leaderboards, I can't wait to see that just plummet very, very quickly. But I look forward to uh, score chasing with other people out there. So, Simon, thank you so much again for the time. Congrats to the team. And I'll throw it back to the rest of the episode. And that's going to pretty much do it for us on this week's episode of Podcast Beyond, because Loki apparently really needs to go bark at something. Uh, Mark and Jada, thank you so much for joining me this week, for sharing your stories uh, with the audience. And thank you for everyone who shared their stories. We do want to read more. We're just unfortunately a little bit of a time crunch but we'll read more next week as well uh we're going to have a fun in-studio show next week for y'all it's going to be a special one uh so look forward to that uh gamescom week is obviously next week and we're going to have uh, a lot to talk about so i hope you'll join us next week mm-hmm. for a really fun uh probably chaotic this will be the first time all three of us are in the studio together so yeah. yep. uh it's going to be real fun i'm bringing my whoopee cushions perfect well, look forward to that, uh, audio listeners. And for everyone else out there, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Jada is at Jada underscore Rena. And Mark is at Mark underscore Medina. Uh, again, you can write into beyond at IGN.com with your PlayStation origin stories or your memory cards. Uh, but thank you, as always, so much for listening and watching to our show. We're live every Wednesday at beyond.IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN Games, and your favorite podcast services around the world. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We hope you're doing well. We hope you're staying safe. And as always, beyond. Beyond. Beyond.